0: Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers, Storymakers Show after a nearly two-month hiatus. So no, hello. no,
1: really no, because it's actually only six weeks. <laughs> I stand corrected. Basically, we've gone from being a weekly show to being a monthly show. That has been the pandemic fatigue. But we keep showing up. We do, but just infrequently pandemic
0: is interesting yeah it is very it was misleading they were totally selling it as something way more fun at the beginning
1: they're like this is going to be so fast it's just going to be like a little retreat where you're going to get your house organized right somehow because you're in it all the time
0: all your new free fun i mean you just have free time for fun things and now and now they're like just
1: keep going just mm -hmm, keep going mm -hmm. hang in there this is our Thanksgiving episode. Yeah, and Happy Thanksgiving. This is our to gratitude you. episode. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, we talk about story and All the time. story makers. That's that's our title. We also sometimes interview people, and we will circle back to that. I also want to encourage people to buy books now from their local yes. independent bookstore, and so I want to talk a little bit about books differently from voting. Yeah, we shop was, early, shop often. That's right. Somewhat differently from voting. Um, I want to say that the one thing that I can really like look to for this pandemic is that I have read a lot. A lot of it I've listened to, but I've actually read or listened to fifty-nine completed books this year so far, Ooh. and then another like thirty-five or forty that I started but haven't finished. Right. Some of them I really want to get back to, and some of them I clearly could let go of, but I think a lot of them are good too. I just sometimes they go back to the library and there's a long line. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm working too hard. Well, what are you uh, working on? Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like my segue? Oh, it was good. It was good. So, um, I am doing this very logistical thing of changing a manuscript that's in multiple first-person point of view into an omniscient third, Mm -hmm. which is great because I'm actually heading into teaching Sonoma County Writers Camp and the topic is voice and point of view. Of course, Ellen and I have decided I'm going to do voice and she's going to do point of view, but nonetheless, I'm thinking a lot about both voice and point of view, actually, because... When you write in first person, theoretically you're writing in the voice of the character. Right. When Otherwise, you write, what's the point? Well, interestingly, I've learned something in evaluating my use of voice in first person. Because when Okay, I'm gonna put a pin in that because mm-hmm. I definitely wanna hear about it, but I just wanted you to finish on what, what am I working on? Yeah. Well, so I'm doing those changes, those those sort of and it's sort of technical, just like, oh, let me change, you know, I to she and see what happens and blah blah blah. And so that's kind of what I'm doing creatively, which is to say, like, not maybe a lot. I am doing morning pages, which I – even those dropped off for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, I just have been in a lot of resistance and a lot of, like, I am compelled to watch this political drama. Theater, yes. Yeah. like, yeah. I have to
0: say, like, I think one of the reasons I actually wanted to make sure that we came back to this is because I think there's – who we – hoped we'd be
1: in <laughs> the who we face used, who we used to be when our children left the house periodically yeah
0: but i think you know and I, and, I, and I want to sort of really call back to the fact that we uh prior to this one we had another hiatus like this is not the first chunk where we've missed things oh, uh for the for the podcast it's often summer it's the kids being at home <laughs> <laughs> So I just, I do think that like one of the things when we talk about like, what are you working on? I, I'm always kind of wanting to side a little bit on the side of compassion for ourselves Mm. on our goals. Um, You know what I mean? And to kind of think like F compassion. All right. This is not the time for (laughs) self-compassion. F you, why haven't you done more?
1: Well, I I will say I started this morning with. I wrote my newsletter this morning that I sent out today, and it was, it was full of compassion. Mm-hmm. So there is that part of me. Yes. That's, now it's the other end of the day.
0: Well, also, I'm the one who
1: brought up compassion. So I, so think- I have to fight yeah. against it. <laughs> <laughs> because that's dialectic narrative. Yes. Yeah, I mean, compassion is a good thing. It's just... Sometimes I also think there's like pushing yourself. I mean, I think Absolutely. I was just I was just thinking about that earlier today while I was standing at AAA in my mask and just thinking like sometimes there's just like what if we had to do but this here's the thing? thing. When when you had a
0: deadline mm-hmm.
1: for your newsletter.
0: Mm-hmm. You met it. When I. Am... You have a deadline for a client. You meet yeah. it. Yeah. When you,
1: you know, and so it's it's well. And actually, speaking of what I'm working on, because I'm going to have to get to what you're working on and your compassion but um one of the things i've decided though i haven't yet made it happen is that i need to set up a deadline with my writing group which i sort of need to like pull out of storage a little bit and dust off and of course it'll be virtual the writing group yes my writing group and i need to say hey guys i need a deadline because that is what i always did and it's just been so long circling around with my agent and her fabulous developmental editor that i haven't really been in that other mm. channel um but that is what works for me and i say to them i'm going to give this to you by this date and then i have to right and that that is it and i always tell my students you know working to deadline is just it's possible whereas working to perfection which is sort of the alternative is impossible, impossible. yes so deadlines are actually self-compassion logistically speaking. yeah sure what are you working on well,
0: I am working on um, work, Fine work, fun work, fun work? Yes, I have. I have an opportunity to work with an organization. I feel really excited to participate with, and um, every you know, I'm interviewing some people and doing some writing for them. And an amazing organization. And I think the truth is, I've been really depressed through a lot of this pandemic, and I think. Um, You know, when you're doing work to get by, when you're doing work because you have to, is really a different category of work, which is not to say the kinds of work I've been doing. I volunteer a lot for the kids' school. I do those different things. But to really connect with an organization who is doing amazing work, and so by virtue of participating in that process with them, of, of learning what they're doing, uh, I'm actually learning something else, and that's always something that jazzes me. When I'm doing something I've done before, I don't always feel quite as excited. Yeah,
1: you like a first-time thing.
0: Yes. So anyway, and and the work that they do is something that this is unambiguously good. Well, one when of I, the things you love is learning about stuff. I love learning, but I also love work. Being with an organization. That is doing something again. Making the world a better place. Making the world a better place. And so I I think that when I'm talking about like compassion and, you know, taking this class online and, you know, there was a meeting and one person's like, I'm falling behind. And one of the hosts of the class was like, well, what are you doing? Like in this sort of way where it
1: was like, you know, it's like- What the hell are you doing with your time? Basically.
0: and, And asking like you were, like that very real question of- what are you doing with your time? And I think it is really hard to get going for things you don't have to do and that don't like feed you in some way. So um again, so doing that writing for that organization feels awesome. And um it's made me want to do more work in other areas. So it's really interesting to Look at how finding a good fit can actually help you be more productive. Finding Mm -hmm. the right project can help you be like, yep, I'm going to take on this thing. Yep, here's my creative way to solve that solution. And I feel more able to take risks because I'm
1: so excited about the work I'm doing. So one of the things that I really want is I really want my brilliant developmental editor to read... My Kafka novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you say that, I'm thinking, well, I can certainly ask. Yeah. I can ask my agent, like, hey, what about this? Right. And she right. can always say no, but she might say, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Let's see where we stand. Yeah. And I
0: just, I think that there's, um, you know, if that's a, you know, one of your projects that really juices
1: you. Well, it's because you were talking about fit. And it's yeah. like, you know, it'd be it'd just she her getting her notes on it like she, that she's a really good fit mm-hmm. that would be exciting yeah. so i'm just thinking about that idea of like finding places where you have a good fit seeking out places where you have a good fit setting up projects and deadlines mm-hmm. that do feed and excite you yes absolutely yeah
0: so so now you were sort of talking about what you learned about voice uh-huh. as you were sort of looking at moving your own project from one place to another.
1: So, we can so one of the there. things that happened there was, so I had these like mostly about three major significant first person points of view, and then I had thrown a few others and it was kind of, you know, a little experimental. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is true, so, so I got this great note from this brilliant writer, reader person, and he said, you know, the, the, like sort of syntactically, the voices were a little same, same, but, but psychologically and from a character level, they were really different. And I thought, you know, this is my strength like this. So when I'm writing, there's kind of, I'm sort of hearing the voice mm-hmm. a little bit. And I think what's true is that the voice is sort of filtered through my voice. So it's more, so in a way, isn't that always going to be true for a writer though? I don't think so. Here's what I think. I think that it's a really good technique for eventually getting to a third person omniscient because then my voice has this role to play. But I actually think if, if one were doing just a first person that, yes, of course, it's going to be true to some extent. You are the scrim. You are the author. But but in a way you are the scrim through which the thing is being projected. Oh, OK. The theater thing. I
0: know, a scrim, yes. No, I
1: do know. I but it's stagecraft.
0: I just, it was an unexpected use of scrim for me. That's all.
1: Well, That's I just all. wanted to throw you I know, look at that. Bonbon. Um, anyway, so I think that there's this sort of theatrical element of voice, right? Of getting into a character.
0: Well, I think also you are writing about a
1: theater. I am. That is the setting. <laughs>
0: So it's interesting to see how like the content might be bleeding into
1: some of your theoretical... Well, right. So I think if I had chosen to go with first person, and Lord knows, I might do it all again in some other way, because that seems to be part of my process too. But in first person, you're sort of looking for the vocabulary. I mean, the, the whole kind of lens, the psychological the range, the all of that is... Fed through And even the metaphors, right? Everything is going to be fed through the character. The character's history, the character's psychology, the character's range of life experience, the character's interests and understanding and all of that. All of which is sort of different ways to say history and psychology, I think, but, you
0: know. <laughs> but see, that is your character voice. If you were to say it in just that,
1: like... Right, yeah, I have to say it five different ways and then acknowledge that I'm overly wordy. And that's what that's makes my you voice. You. That is what makes me me. And one of the things I think I've been doing with my last couple of projects is trying to lean into what I and some select small group of other people like about my voice, right? And to kind of lean into that a little bit in my fiction. So anyway, so I had to make this choice between doing... a doing first-person and really getting more into the the limits and the possibilities of another character and their voice. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. But kind of almost, it is almost acting work, right? To like really put yourself into that. Or to go third-person, like omniscient, that can go in and be limited. And- I wonder
0: like how much analysis needs to go into making the choice. Because I think a lot of us start writing, we're feeling intuitive. We pick a point of view and a character, and we're just like, oh, I just, I'm hearing from this character and I'm just hearing from their point of view. But at some point, like that's not actually sufficient to merit that point of view choice. Mm -hmm. So, at what point do you think analysis comes in
1: to thinking about what are your goals? And I mean, in this case, it was, I got this feedback, which was, you know psychologically the voices are very distinct but syntactically they're not right the word choice and the structure of the sentence right but is to normal. solve that problem you have a number of options absolutely and so i thought about it and there's something that i'm interested in about bringing elements of what my own voice can do in that i'm that i'm interested in right now and so i wanted to do the third person i wanted to kind mm. of have, make room for my voice but i'm interested in playing with these other kinds of first person voices. And I will confess to you that I sometimes still will write new material for this book, sometimes in first person, but it's Mm -hmm. this first person that is a kind of a hybrid first person, like that I now really see is, you know, it's like, you know how there's all these videos now of like, where you see someone talking, but someone else's words are coming out of their mouth. Yes. It's like that. It's like my voice is in there and it's me channeling this other person and my, it's, but it's my voice and my vocabulary coming out. And so I'd rather not do that in first person. But
0: he, here's the thing. I would, argue, satirical. I, I would guess from a, like a pedagogical point, if you were to step back and say, what are the kinds of things third person is really good for? What are the kinds of things first person is really good for? Mm-hmm. And then what are the kinds of things I'm trying to achieve with my book? Like, do you ever sit back and do that kind of analysis?
1: Well... I think my, like I said, my first step was like, okay, do I wanna go into refining the, the first person voices to be way more distinctive and limited? Or do I want to do this other thing? And I, to be honest with you, okay, so there was this one phrase, which two different people, sort of groups, one was a, one editor and one with this group, this workshop, called out as being something that this kid like couldn't quite conceive, that it was like beyond his vocabulary and psychology. And I kind of wanted to hang on to it. Like I, it was like a darling. And mm-hmm. so in some ironic way, that was part of my choice to go with this third person that could do more of those kinds of things. And when I got to that part, I cut it anyway, even though I was in third person, because the truth is that third person is, is zooming in and it's thir- it's close. And, you know, even though at the same time, I also have mo- morphed that character to be more poetic and more intellectual okay so let's back up a little bit
0: so we have so we're talking about voice more than point of view i I think we've really gone into the point of view discussion at this point
1: well they're so interestingly related well that's why you're doing a two part yes that's why we're tying it together so
0: i guess the question that comes up for me as you're talking is that uh voice in the third person i think of something like Middlesex, right?
1: Where you have a narrator I'd who I call has that it. first person omniscient.
0: Right, and so you have something like that. How does voice play out in something like that?
1: Funnily enough, because this brilliant workshop leader said something like, there are a lot of like, white guys in the 80s who wrote this, these kind of books with this kind of voice. I was like, oh yeah, I like those. those. But so, so how does, so what's
0: the question? Well, I was just thinking about, so you have a character. Mm -hmm. So this character will eventually sort of land in characterness, right? We'll see this person in characterness Mm -hmm. at different points. Characterness. Yes. you coining terms. Right? Um, And at the same time, they're narrating sections of history and story they could not possibly have witnessed or participated in. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's interesting because you're... Still getting their point of view, mm-hmm. right, which is tied to their voice, and so like, how does voice from an omniscience to an in the moment character shift?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I was listening to a podcast, Writers on Writing, interviewing Nick Flynn, who is a poet who writes memoir. That's mm. how he I would identify, and he was talking about how he kind of allows himself to to go into the points of view of these other characters, you know, who he's related to by DNA and mm. f- familial connection. But, you know, it's is sort of interesting. But he has these certain other rules that are more traditional nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think... Um, that there's a, a slide that you're allowed that you're allowed to like play this whole sort of trombone slide. Not that I really understand the trombone to work that metaphor very well, but you well, know, that's about pitch, isn't it? I don't know, but like you can go from being really pulled back. You could be really externalized. You could be, but you're
0: still yeah. that character, right? So
1: in the first person, you are, but in the mm-hmm. omniscient third, you can then zoom in and be like locked into one part, so you're point You're kind of, of doing view.
0: the same thing
1: in those then it sounds in, like so, well, that's why i level. call it first person omniscient because right, they but, are sort of doing that
0: but you have so whether you do a first person omniscient <laughs> or
1: a third person close right mm-hmm. they kind of give you those models give you the, well, the ability third to person, kind person of... what i would say is that i would call it a third person omniscient as well and mm-hmm. it, and like the first person omniscient which is not sort of going to fall into your typical mm-hmm. trajectory of your high school of view, list of... Right. Right. Yes. Um, but third person on also can accordion between distant, right. overview, uh, different, and then pop I mean, you have that third minds. person close, right? So that that,
0: that as, you know, uh, uh, that narrator comes close into
1: the characters, that voice might change a little bit as we enter right. those. And that was sort of why I had to finally cut that phrase that I had done so so much contorting to try to save even in third person. Okay, so I have one more question. So we
0: were talking about this actually in Book in a Year the other night and sort of one of the things about having multiple characters, having multiple points of view, you know, you have these exponential changes in voice, in, in, you know, what gets noticed, what doesn't get noticed and then we started talking about Virginia Woolf and To the Lighthouse and how she actually, like within a paragraph, will move into different people's minds mm-hmm. sort of what they're seeing right so there's that constant separation between the external the internal but not a separation between uh people like she'll move between these right. characters right. in this way that um can be hard to follow <laughs> um so i think that like i just feel very curious to you know at this point it's like and I, I'll be honest, I haven't read to the lighthouse recently, so I'd have to go back and look at it. But does she change? Does she change when she makes those transitions
1: into does a the narrator?: Does the narrator? Change? Right, right? The vocabulary and all of that. I bet so. I mean just and If thinking it doesn't, of, this though, like, So
0: here's what I'm saying. Like, if it doesn't, what do you imagine the sort of strategic use would be? So let's say we have a a, a Mm -hmm. third-person omniscient narrator Mm -hmm. whose voice never changes, even though you might come close into Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. characters. What might be a story where that would be a useful strategy?
1: Well, I mean, so that's the storyteller. I mean, even when you were talking about kind of going back and forth within a paragraph about points of view, I immediately thought of the storyteller who, you know, in a a complex storyteller, and I... I think I'm a complex storyteller, but who is sort of interested in like, this is what she was saying and thinking, and this is what she was saying and thinking, and kind of how do you orchestrate understanding that all of, of those things are in fact going on simultaneously, that, that people are saying and thinking things and, and then, you know, to each other right. simultaneously. I think, so, you know, I just have spent a lot of time really thinking about structure, right? Yes. How does
0: action drive character and character drive action in that relationship. But I think as we're talking about this, I find myself intrigued to think that there are possible like concrete things that you could say, I'm trying to achieve this in the same way that, um, you know, the way you use light, right? Mm. Hard light or soft light, the way you use, how, what are, you know, so there are effects that come out of how you choose to
1: use a certain tool. And I want to say that I think cinematically, you are getting closest to probably what you're talking about Wolf doing because there is no interiority in Mm. film, sort of like in in literally, right? But there is this incredible interiority that comes through the facial expressions and the beat sort of Mm. pauses. The editing. The actors and the intonations and all of that, right? And the editing. And the editing and the editing. So that kind of interiority, even though it's not an explicit interiority that you get to do in prose or mm-hmm. you know, get to and, and kind of to some extent need to do um, or can do, um, but it's simultaneous, right? So when you're watching a scene between two brilliant actors, and I have to say like the first thing that pops into my mind is Remains of the Day with, right. with um, Anthony Hopkins and Emma wow. Thompson and just the two of them like close up on screen. And her cheekbone and his, you know, it's like there's so much going on with each of them in that shot, you know, in Mm -hmm. a shot with the two of them, or as you're cutting back and forth between them, you are definitely channeling the interiority as well as the external actions of both characters at the same time. Mm -hmm. So even though cinema kind of gets to dodge interiority in one way, it's also simultaneous all the way through. Which
0: actually puts me in mind of remembering that... uh, Thor: Love and Thunder is about to go in production with uh, Tessa Thompson, so who played Valkyrie,
1: Natalie Portman? Portman and um, is Tessa Thompson related to Emma Thompson? No, but because because there are people who are related to each other. Yes, like Emma, I don't, I, don't Bob, I you know, I could be Wild told. About. I
0: don't know one right, right, one
1: yeah. I believe is
0: in the U.S. I don't know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Anyway, I just feel excited about the new thought. I have
1: one more thought about film versus... Also, last
0: note on that, <laughs> written, written and directed
1: by Taika Waititi. Oh, who we just love. Highly recommend. The Anything c- he touches, really. Yeah, so, well, the ones we've seen, certainly. Anyway, so but, oh, we'll get to what it, Steal this really soon. But before we do, I just want to say one more thing about cinema and point of view, which is from actually just watching the Taika Waititi, what is it called? The Wanderer? Hunt for the Wilder People. What? Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. It will be in the show notes. There are certain scenes that that seem to be from, like the camera's point of view, is a character like walking through the bush or whatever. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, because in cinema you actually get interiority by watching an actor's face, when you're when the camera is doing an actor's point of view, mm-hmm. you actually have less interiority. You have the ex, you have the literal we might have to ex, dig into
0: this at a different have
1: the external experience that the person's happen, having as they walk through the bush. You have like what their eyes are seeing, right? The camera right. is their it's eyes. Their POV shot. Their POV, but you have less access to their interiority. Because you don't see their facial expressions, which express all of their emotion or their right. actions. Or- trigger those mirror neurons. Yeah. yeah. So what? So steal this. It is time for steal this. Amateur poets. Borrow. Professional poets. steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? I am actually just,
0: I was so gratified to watch Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, that was amazing. It was really fun. Um...
1: Not only fun. Taika Watiti did
0: this amazing TED Talk where he really talked about like some of the weird obsessions he had as a, as a youth. And um, I think that it's really hard for a lot of us to feel okay with our weird obsessions. And I don't mean like you're hurting people obsessions. I mean like obsessions where... Uh, you might be ashamed or embarrassed or whatever. You're not actually hurting people, <laughs> but, but you might feel,
1: uh, well, I think that's an important point. Sadly. Know, unfortunately, I think it's more and more important. <laughs> um, and so,
0: you know, I think that I, I watch his work. I love Jojo rabbit. Um, I think he's just, you know, what we do in the shadows. I mean, he's just got such this, he's got a very, and he's got a voice. We'll say he definitely, no matter what the project is, whether it's vampires or a young troubled teen on the run in the bush. Like, vampires, Nazis. Yeah. I mean, teenagers. He's, he's got a perspective that I think comes out in his work for sure. Um, and I just kind of want to steal that because I think in a lot of ways, what I'm actually stealing is the thing I want to be. The truth is like when I, when we're talking about like when we were co-directing. Little Mutinies. The short. The short. And I was directing a comedy and you were directing a drama. A drama. And. Our poor act. His sensibility, I think, is is
1: one that I find I resonate with. I just want to give a, this context to the Little Mutinies short, which is that we had two children under one. And so whenever one of us was out directing, the other was in nursing. And so. That was why we were able to direct two different movies.
0: Yes, yeah, so it wasn't like we had a handoff session there. But anyway. Or normally so like, they're together. Right, no. But anyway, I, so I just, I think for Taika Waititi, he's, he's got things he's interested in exploring. He's definitely someone who is interested in, in both the very, very tragic and the very, like the comedy that comes in that. The fact that he was like Hitler in Jojo Rabbit and the way that he played it and the, but the fact that there's a whole storyline that goes through that, and that was what he was attracted to. He didn't write the initial book, but he said, great, this is a story I want to bring to the screen. Those are the kinds of things that, like, I, you know, I'm stealing, giving myself permission
1: to be, follow my obsessions. Great. I love it. Well, I have just noticed that I am very intrigued by Journeys right now. Like The uh, band? No. <laughs> but um so um Denise Minna had this book with, I'm forgetting the title, but I'll put it in the show notes about this woman on this sort of escape this po- it's all it has podcasts in it too, mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool. Anyway. Um and like I, so these and I sort of some some of them are mysteries like so Elizabeth Hand, these mysteries where there you know there's some element mm. of travel. Um but anyway, and I just, you know, that, there's sort of that thing of, like, there's a stranger comes to town. There's a person who goes on a journey, right? The, the, you know, and the, and the hero's journey. I mean, journeys are, are very archetypal. And I'm just interested in journeys. And it might be because I'm not leaving those at all. I'm not saying it's not. but um, well, I think- And the Taika Waititi was, was a journey. Yes. Film. Mm-hmm. So I want to steal journeys. Okay. I like that.
0: So with that, I want to say, when the lights go down in the city (laughs) and the sun shines on the bay, Um, I want
1: to be there
0: in my city. And we want to say thank you to everyone who's joining us from their cities, (laughs) whether they're next
1: to a bay or not. Whether they're in a suburb or in a patch of land.
0: I got an email
1: saying that we're
0: number 12 on the Kuwait podcast list. So <laughs> Kuwait!
1: Shout out to Kuwait!. So,